Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am so thrilled today to be joined by someone I have admired for a long time as a shining example of having a dream and a vision for your life and going for it to make it happen. So I first started following him on social media a few years ago where he'd share his dreams of moving to New York one day from his town, which was quite a far distance from New York, I should add, and he wanted to become an actor. And ultimately, fearlessly, he did just that. And I would turn on the TV and I was like, oh, my God, like he did it, you know. And so he's making a name for himself now as both an entertainer and a political activist. So please welcome to Motivational Mondays, Hugh Jones. Welcome. Hey, hey. (laughs) Great to have you here, you know. Um, As we were talking off camera, I've been like hounding you for a couple of years now. being like, I want to interview you because... I really have watched you follow your dreams. And it's a big lesson we always want to share with people in our audience and beyond just to go for your passion. So I'll start with uh, asking a little background. Where are you from and uh, and what is your your ethnic heritage? I'm from Mexico, from Monterrey, Mexico. I lived there till I was 12. Then I moved to Texas. My mom's Mexican. My dad is white, hence the Jones. Okay. I've had to explain and defend my name. As long as I could. Wait, you don't look like a Joan. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. Hugh. Oh, you mean Hugo. Like, mm. Oh, my gosh. So they had to Latinize oh, it. Like, oh, like, <laughs> like okay. that. that's the default. The right, default. Right. Everybody defaults to Hugo because it couldn't be Hugh. But, wow. And I never even thought that. I literally just thought it was Hugh. I thought it was a little different for a Mexican name. But uh, I never thought it was Hugo. But in fairness, I can see why, you know silly Americans might, <laughs> might make that association. But you, so you're, so you identify as Mexican American, ideally, I guess. So you lived in actual Mexico or were you uh, in Texas before you moved to New York? Where were you actually living? Oh no, before New York, Texas, but I did move from Mexico to Texas. Okay. Which is but a yeah, large community. I, I, li- I lived in the small village of Houston, Texas. <laughs> right, right. <yeah. laughs> I may have heard of it. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Impact, flyover country. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. But um, it prepared me for New York really well. A lot of people sleep on Houston. Austin, Dallas gets all the glory. But Houston is the liberal progressive mecca of the South. Mm. We had a lesbian mayor for eight years, Anise okay. Parker. Uh, it's, I mean, you, it's the most culturally diverse place in the South. We had in Houston, we have a Koreatown, a Chinatown, Africa district, Mm. Mahatma Gandhi district. Anthony Bourdain filmed one of his shows at one of the, one of the Indian restaurants. It's amazing. The weather sucks and it's not as pretty as the other cities. So, Mm. but it prepared me for New York really well. And just let me tell you. The Nigerian population down there is huge and it is excellent. They're all doctors, lawyers, like, oh, yeah. And see, that's important. That's important because I know because I follow you on social media, you know, you are all about representation and 
positive representation, not just this influx of what we see when the worst parts of certain demographics are exploited. Made Mexicans and cartels. Yeah. Um, Yes. We're, you know, one of the biggest things for me, I remember when I was working in retail in Saks Fifth Avenue and years ago, and um, they told us about the elusive black Amex car that only the Mm. wealthiest people in the world. And the first person that I actually waited on that I saw one was a successful Mexican businessman. And, and, you know, and and let's not forget at one part, at one point, like, was it Carlos uh, Sim was like Mm -hmm. the richest Mexican. He was like the richest man on the planet at one point or something. So, yeah, I mean, I see in you this uh, desire and passion to also shatter stereotypes personally when it comes to you and and your representation. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I'm a walking contradiction. Everything from my name to my color to the way that I talk. When I open my mouth, people expect me to sound a certain way. You're, you know, all these these stereotypes that people pin on us. But we pin on each other. I'm guilty of it, too. So it's it's important to show the other side of a person's color. Like a lot of a lot of Americans gag because I used to get made fun of in, in Monterrey in Mexico because that was too dark. And the wealth holding elite in Mexico are light skinned, blue eyed. They're all fair. Novella so, people. Exactly. Turn on Univision, Telemundo, they'll be there. Mm-hmm. So the school that I went to, it was a nice English speaking school. And I used to get made fun of like crazy. And Americans, they, they don't understand the colorism in Mexico or that they're even light skinned people in Mexico. Right, right. Like the guy, the guy you helped with the Amex card, I'm sure was a light skin, fair skin. Yeah. Yeah. He looked like a white guy with a tan, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Which, which is what's so funny about my last name. Everybody, Jones, but you're Mexican. That's impossible. Europe colonized or a lot of Europeans moved to Mexico. They have all sorts of, from sorts of last names from Shoning to, you Bauer, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 1990, Ms. Universe was Mexican. Her name was Lupita Jones. Mm. That's so you know, funny. Lupita yeah. Nyong'o's from Mexico. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? So these are the stereotypes. Like, And, and what, what hurts so much, and I try not to be so critical against Americans, because I'm guilty of similar things. Mexico is right here. There's no reason to be so aloof about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I understand Americans only care about themselves and their personal life. But, you know, if I can change that, I will. Yeah. No. And, you know, we've had conversations, you know, where we it'll start in a chat and then we'll have to kind of go off to the DM because, you know, because we don't mm. want to we don't want to throw too much fire into the, uh, you know, into the conversation. But, you know, I agree with you on that. To me. Mexico being even associated with Mexico and Puerto Rico, for example, is an honor. It's a privilege that America would have those relationships, especially Puerto Rico being a commonwealth. You know, um, when there was a lot of ire with a particular president who, um, you know, uh, came under fire for how he dealt with Puerto Rico in a, in the storm, I thought, that's one of the most beautiful places on earth. And it's a commonwealth of America. We should be protecting that beautiful place and those people who are our people mm-hmm. um and it's amazing how just some people did not see it that way they sort they still see it as us and them i'm like no they are american and so i think mm-hmm. um maybe it's america the biggest problem with america is like the lack of education and as far as, far as like the, how geography works and how mm-hmm. you know 
the, the social constructs of geography. I think that's our biggest problem. And you are from a, a state we're not from, but you lived in a state where just last week, I might add, um, I think a teacher got fired for like the diary of Anne Frank, a particular mm-hmm. adaptation. So what are your thoughts on, because it ties right into what we we're saying, what are your thoughts on this attempt to sort of revisionize history and in many cases erase it? So I think Republicans tapped into something really effective, and that's apathy. Nobody cares. If it doesn't affect you directly, you don't care. If it's somebody that doesn't share your religion, your skin color, your nationality, your immigration status, we just don't care about these issues. So they're playing into that. Right now, we're so divided that if they go after trans people, black people, gay people, brown people, No one's going to stand up for them, and they know it. So they can attack history. They can attack voting rights. They can attack abortion. The gays didn't stand up and defend women. Nobody did. Women didn't. Like What what hurts the most, in Iran, in the country of Iran, a woman was killed by the the moral police for not wearing her hijab. Correct. Yeah. The, the, The country fell apart. They fought for their women. They called it a feminist revolution. That was because of over a uh, hijab. What did we do for abortion? We didn't tear up the streets. And so, and that's the same for other issues. So they know what they're doing. They know we're not going to turn up for each other. So it's, it's proving effective. Right. Right. So you're saying you feel like sometimes the most vulnerable groups are targeted. And, and in this instance, the ones you mentioned, because there's a, a sense that no one's really going to stand up for them anyway. So we can really, it's fair game just to go in. And we don't stand up for each other. You know, it's, I haven't seen any, I, I, I've, I've seen, I haven't seen any other people other than Latin people in immigrant demonstrations. For example, you know, like regular Americans don't care. And that, that's for so many issues, you know, and I, I haven't been to a gun rally. They massacred children in Texas. You know, I mean, we're just right. Right. So you're putting yourself, you're putting yourself. In yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm guilty yeah. of it. Yeah. 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 I can yeah. point fingers all day, but I have my flaws too. I do it too. And it's just, and, and, and what breaks my heart every time I go down to Texas and I tell people, Oh my God, they're taking your voting rights. Oh my God. Your trans rights, your women's rights, your gay rights, your black rights. Every time I talk to people, nobody cares. It's always like, man, that stuff is so negative. I'm just going to focus on me and my family. And, you know, and that's it, you know, because they do whatever they want. And I'm like, hmm. well, see, but I think what happens in that case, and I think we've talked about this, too. I know we have a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, the disenfranchisement happens, right, where you start to certain ethnic groups who they feel like their voice is not heard or nothing will change. And uh, there's a point where they just start to feel that nothing they do will matter because they continually see that it seemingly doesn't matter. It hasn't helped them. It hasn't changed. So I think what you and I have to do is sort of still keep the optimism there and try to continue just to tell people why it's important, right? Because, you know, we've talked about that too. We're like, we can't just, you know, we can't just keep telling everybody, you know, calling people out without trying to remedy. Well, why are they not connected? What can we do? I do that a lot. Like, I'm always, you know, and why don't people do this? Why don't, you know, and it's like, and nobody cares. Like, once I start scolding people, it's over. Like, nobody's trying to hear that. (laughs) Right, right. You know? Right. But I I get so frustrated. No, I know. Well, yeah. And I always argue, too. I was like, you know, 
I saw literally people about to tear the streets apart when Beyonce lost album of the year. Right. <laughs> and I'm right. like, and, and, and you see it for sports all the time too. Oh, don't let somebody lose. Yeah. Yeah. But when it right. comes to like the other issues about your own civil liberties and your rights, it's like, I'm like, I don't see as much fervor for uh, the cause for that. So I know, listen, we can go on. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Forever yeah. about that. But, but you and, know, and I'm, I'm a lighthearted fun guy, but when it comes <laughs> to politics, I'm just like, but no, because yeah, like, you know, well, I think people of color, uh, marginalized groups, I think we have a lot more uh, invested in that conversation. So we do tend to be more passionate. And I will call out, I will say that we did have nicely and luckily, and, and I was so excited to see when the George Floyd situation mm -hmm. happened, we did see in that instance, um, all around that the world. It gave me hope. It gave me hope. We can right. do it. People it's, look yes. different. They were, yes. I think, I think other people who weren't black we're saying we're tired of it. And that's what has to happen, right? We step outside of our own group and then care about what happens to other people as well. Yeah. yeah. I need to go fight for Muslim people. I need to go fight for Asian people, anybody. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what it takes. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That's a great way to, to, to pivot to a more positive note on that conversation. All right. So back to uh, something more lighthearted, back to your performance and your, your performing and your journey. So uh, when did your interest in being an actor or a performer begin? And, and with that in mind, you know, was there like this one moment where you really said, okay, that's what I want to do? I was always star for attention, always class clown. In order to, in second grade, in order for the teacher to keep me calm, she would say, if you behave, I'm going to give you 30 minutes in front of the class. And I would read, I would, <laughs> whatever. Oh, oh yeah, no, like she'd have to bribe me with time, with attention. <laughs> so, so that was that. And then in junior high, I got interested in theater, but there were some mean teachers that ran me off. Like, hmm. I don't know, like teachers and I, I think I had too, too much of a smart mouth, wanted to be class clown. I got on people's nerves. So I was discouraged from theater, didn't do anything until I was like 27 in Houston. Vincent Victoria, who does plays down there, cast me out of nowhere to be lead in his play. I don't know where he got the phase. I don't know where he got the anything. It, and so I did it and I, I got the bug. From there, I was interested. I was doing other shows. And I did apartment management in Houston. Beautiful apartments, Broadstone Skyline by downtown. And I was applying for jobs on the clock in New York. I was in a relationship that was failing with a guy whom I still love, but we don't talk about that. But, <laughs> um, and I wish you'd stop bringing it up, please. Okay, I don't I talk about My bad. My okay, bad. right. Okay. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> the, um, and so I hated my job. I hated my life. The relationship was falling apart. I wanted to live in New York so bad. It was 2018. I applied for a job at the Metropolitan Opera. I got offered an audition. So I put in all this, you know, I put in vacation time, everything. Everybody knew I hated my job. I was number one at sales. I was killing it. But they hated working with me because I didn't do my paperwork. I'm fun. I'm a key. But working with you sucks. And I'm like, I get it. I hate it. <laughs> Wait, let me just ask you right there. Do you mean, are you, are you like more like structure is not your thing, so to speak, in that sort of way? Yeah. Is that kind of the reason why? Yeah. I, like I was selling I was, everything. Sales were bad. Like they love me. They, but when it got to the paperwork and the follow through, nothing. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. And, and they had to threaten me. Like, we're not going to give you a commission if you don't follow through. So I'd be sitting there, but the sales were coming. Anyway, so I put in vacation time. Everybody knew I hated my job. They knew the plan, but I was like, I'm going to go audition. 
So I, I did it. I was at the Met and I went back to my hotel. They offered me the job. And I called my mom. I was like, what do I do? I want to live here. She said, if you don't move over there, I'm so sick of hearing you talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, okay. So I quit my job. I just did it. From there, I moved to a Airbnb in Canarsie. Because when I was in Manhattan, I was like, oh my God, this is my sex in the city dream. Like, right, I can right, do this. Right. This is yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then I was bleeding out money at that hotel. So I said, I need to, I need to find an Airbnb until I find a permanent place. So I've this trans woman, uh, Gigi's Blue House in Canarsie, she let me stay in her couch for a discounted rate. It was a blessing. She was so good to me. But I looked around Canarsie and I was like, this is not it. I can't live my life for, leave my life for this. <laughs> right. That's, Canarsie is not you know, quite the right. experience, but yeah. It was literally at the end of the L train, like mm-hmm. just deep Brooklyn. Anyway, <laughs> so so I, I found a place in Harlem with a, uh, with a Senegalese couple, stayed there a couple months, had a bunch of stuff shipped over went through the breakup and just, and at the Met, I, I was just, now the Met is right in front of Juilliard. There is a literal skyline, like a pipeline that goes from Juilliard to the Met. I'm the asshole that just came off the street from Houston with no classical training. And they throw me in an opera. And I was so intimidated. I was so like, it, I felt so inadequate. It just, you know, but I had to push through. Like, it was my biggest dream. And, and you know, I don't know any of the technical terms, you know? Like, right, just right. even on stage. Like, arpeggio, staccato, arpeggio. All of You're it. Like, I mean, even, yeah. even basic stuff. Like, you know, uh, write it. We're going to tableau with this. But, like, what does that mean? I can't right. read the schedule. I can't. I couldn't, you know, but I just had to push through. I just had to make it through. And... And there I learned about background TV and movie work. And so I started, you know, and from there, you know, I started doing background and stuff. It wasn't until my third year that, no, yeah, the third year that I'm walking around like a little mouse. I I think I'm in, I think I'm in everybody's way. I'm trying to plug in my phone to a charger and the head of my department, Jillian, looks at me and she says, Hugh, you belong here. It's okay. Mm. You don't you know, this is your space too. Wow. And Wow. Changes everything, oh, yeah. right? Changes it everything. Did. It did. I get so emotional thinking about it because, <laughs> mm. like, I felt home. I'm in well, my fifth year now. Oh mm. man! Well, and that's so wonderful. And I and I will just say, I remember like when you first were like here. I don't know what the hell happened to this day. I'm still trying to figure it out. Like we were going to meet, like you were at one mm-hmm. Marriott courtyard and I'm like, I'm there. You're like, I'm there too. I'm like, no, you can't be. Cause I'm there. I'm not sure what happened. That was so like day happened. three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you had just got day here. Three. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like trying to, cause I was like, I got to meet this guy. He's so amazing. And uh, cause you had, cause I had chronicled, I had, I had watched you do the whole, you told the whole story on social media. I saw it. I saw mm-hmm. you auditioned, you got to New York, you were posting like, I don't know where I'm going to live. I'm just going to figure it out when I get here. And why that's important to stress is because on this show, I speak to some of the, the biggest CEOs in this country, most successful people sometimes, you know, in the world that we have on these shows and on this show in particular. And very often one of the common denominators that has gotten them where they are is this moment that life threw at them, but they had a choice to either stay uh, complicit in what they were doing or take mm-hmm. a serious chance on themselves, not mm-hmm. knowing where they were going to land, not knowing how it was going to turn out, 
maybe not even knowing how the, to do the job, as you just said. Someone, a guy, you know, the, the CEO of Chuck E. Cheese said he had this big opportunity to go work for Disney. And they're like, hey, we want you to be the head of blah, 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 blah. Can you do it? He was like, yeah, I can do it. Take like, it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah take it was like, you make okay, it. Yeah. Right. I'll say yes. And then I'll figure it out when I get there. So I was fascinated by then. And then the next thing I saw, you had posted this beautiful backstage photo of you like in costume. You were like Egyptian or something. At the mm-hmm. Met, Aida, Aida, yeah. and I was just floored by that. And so, anyway, congratulations on that because that's a Thank big you. deal, man. I, and people were watching and rooting for you, and um, you know, that's I just found it to be to be fascinating. Now, so you said Texas prepared you in a way for New York because you were sort of Houston dying. specifically. Houston specifically. Yeah. Um, were there any correlations between? New York and Houston as far as being major cities or were they really different for you? They, they're very different and the same, you know, I, in Houston, I would be in rooms where this person is speaking Japanese. This one's speaking Russian, this one's speaking Arabic, you know? So those little moments prepared me. Like I, I wasn't in such wonder and every conversation didn't start with where are you Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm able to just talk. Like, so, yeah, like, it it prepared me for a lot. And it's really crowded, but it's nothing like New York. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to play the, they're all the same. But Right, right. It's kind of, it it overlaps when it wants to. Yeah. And so Aida was your big, first big sort of, like, marker. Like, well, I can do this. Someone... Someone I auditioned and someone has validated that I can do this. And so you do it. So what are some of the other jobs you booked uh, on television? Because you were popping up like everywhere for a minute. I was like, well, damn, save some work for everybody else, bro. Like, so what are some of the shows you worked on? Well, but first, let me say, I have so much to be grateful for. New York and God and the world has been so good to me. It really, like, I started at 34. This is a young industry. Coming from apartments, like, I get so mm-hmm. emotional thinking about it. I really, like, you know, but, you know, I, I started doing, the first job that I did was Billions. That was interesting. Okay. It was a, at the St. Gennaro Festival in Little Italy. And then from there, I, like, I was just hungry and I was starving for the camera. I've done Pose, Law and Order, for life, this prison show. I um, saw my that. Two, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, and, yeah. and one day, as a background, well, background is the bottom of the totem pole. Nobody respects that, but <laughs> you learn so much. Oh, nobody right, does. It's, right, right. You know, right. yeah. Like even when SAG talks about it, like you know, I love SAG. No disrespect, but background isn't the main conversation piece. But yeah, so, so, you know, I did all these shows and the dream is that hopefully you get upgraded. Hopefully they'll see you. And it happened to me. I did this one show with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, uh, The Undoing. First lines I ever got. I was sitting there with a cute sweater and, and Wardrobe was walking around. They said, oh, we like your sweater. I, they talked to each other. And, you know, next thing you know, I have a line. Wow. Yeah. 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 Like. And that's a big deal because that's how you get into unions, right? When you actually get the work where you have lines and you can sort of get into the next, uh, the upper echelon of the profession. Well, you can get in the union with background work. You just need three Tav Harleys, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you're not in the union, but production comes up to you and says, would you like to be a union player today? 
Yeah, you yes, you you have all the union benefits, the pay and everything, and you get that waiver. Three of those make you eligible for the union. Yeah, yeah. And then so I did I, I did background work. I did hustlers with J Lo, Cardi B. I, I was there one day, the one day that mattered. Usher was there, Cardi B, Kiki Palmer, Lizzo, uh, wow. J-Lo, like, and I'm just doing background. Like, I mean, nobody was talking to me, like, but, you know, it, it's... But still. Th- it was beautiful, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, from the dreams, from the dreams of Houston to being on set with that caliber of people. Yeah. Amazing. Let me tell you, season one of Pose, I was in Houston with my then best friend, Darcel. And we we were in my living room smoking, watching Pose, and I just looked at him, and I, <laughs> longingly I said, "That looks like so much fun. I would love to do that. I would love to be in that show." And then fast forward, thanks to the Met, I was on Pose, and it be, and it was so much fun. Like, and you were visibly was, there. like I saw you on Pose. Like I was just telling you off camera. I was like. Yo, like everybody wanted to be on that show. And I turned on the TV and there you were like, you know, I was like, look at this guy. I was so, but I'm so happy for you. I knew the struggle. Like I knew what you had, you know, what you had accomplished to get there. That's Ryan Murphy. That's not a small accomplishment, even to be a day player or an extra. That's a big deal. Absolutely. And I became eligible for the union so quick. And I, you know, I took my time because, you know, I, I I didn't have the money to pay for it. So I waited, finally joined. And we re- right now we're on strike, which is mm-hmm. partly why I'm wearing the shirt. Oh, right, I shouldn't right. be talking about these shows. Um, but anyway. Um, well, no, we're talking about them in the context of the shows are great. And let's also say the writers should be paid. <laughs> my work was great and we should all be paid. Okay. Right. <laughs> Period. That's no, what we're going to uh, say about them. Right. Right. No, no, no. But um, so we just had an election in SAG. And I ran for a position, for a delegate yes. position. Now, mind mm-hmm. you, coming from Texas, it's an anti-union state. They teach us, they don't, first of all, they keep us in the dark about unions. I didn't know any, I didn't even know what Labor Day was about. Mm. And I joined the union. I ran, I'm a delegate now. I want, I campaigned and won a position. Well, yes. So I saw that you were campaigning on that and I, I didn't know how the election went. So you actually, so people voted for you basically, you're saying, and you yeah. won as a delegate represent. So you represent a certain like New York or has that, what has that? Work? So, like, so there's a number actual? of us that represent New York, but I'm, I'm an access point for members who want to, you know, direct information to council or anybody. One of the biggest things that we do or that I do is I write resolutions that could go on the constitution for SAG. And if, if I get it endorsed by enough, by enough people, then it'll, it'll go on to be debated and it can be adopted. My, my current resolution is so, so the, the biggest issue that I have, union politics are just like regular politics. Nobody votes, but everybody is super mad. <laughs> oh, yeah. everybody has, you know, everybody's mad. Everybody has strong opinions. And some people think maybe we should tear it all down. But nobody mm. votes. Right, right. So my success is going to be measured by member turnout at the next election. So I passed a res- or I submitted a resolution. I'm getting endorsements now because everybody's confused about what are the dates? What can we do? When is this? Like, there shouldn't be this much confusion. I suggest we do a text alert to all the members. You have to go out of your way to opt out of it. 
but everybody gets a text alert for super important dates. There's no reason why anybody should be out of communication. And let's see if we can if we can bring up voter voter engagement with that. Right. Because there's no excuse. I didn't know. Why didn't they tell me? I don't live there anymore. I don't check my right. email. Okay. We all have a phone. So what a simple resolution too, right? Because that's like a, that's like bringing them forward to the modern technology. Mm-hmm. With some, this was very simple technology, but it's like bringing them forward to actually, you know, um, engagement. just kind of be yeah. engagement. Right. And it's something like you said, we all have a phone and regular elections do sort of, I mean, you know, certain action committees for election parties, they do text you to say, hey, are you registered to vote? Have you done this? Mm-hmm. Have you, you know, do you know your candidates in your district? Do you know what district you're in when you vote? Like, yeah. So, I mean, something so simple as that. And um, and congratulations. I mean, I saw that you were running. I'm like, now he's entering in entertainment politics. <laughs> and he's and you won that too. So I just think you're on fire. I think you're on fire. Yeah. And I think it's great. I mean, again, what the lesson here um, that I even learned from you, and I did, I've said, you know, there were times when I was not as aggressive as I needed to be in my own pursuits. And a very few times I would watch and I say, you know what, I got to like get some of that, what he's doing. I got to remember that I was that guy once that went for it and didn't get caught up in like, well, to, you know, tomorrow. You know, it's a reminder that nothing's going to fall in your lap unless you go for it. So, um, you know, I just think that it's an inspirational story. So um, let me ask you now. With, we just talked about the strike. Now, let's say hypothetically, think hopefully soon the strike is over. Uh, and what would be a dream The writer's TV strike show? may end tonight. Oh, There's a really? big probability it could end tonight. Yeah. Okay. Y'all so, heard it here first. Y'all heard on. it here first. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Because I don't want them beating up Drew Barrymore no more. Okay. Um, the view is next. <laughs> They're targeting the view next. I know, but I did hear, not to get off topic, but I did hear that there's this very interesting thing at the view where the view like like a year ago or so was added to the news division so it's not a scripted show on mm. the tv and sag yeah so i heard that abc sort of You're did pretty that. newsy that makes yeah. sense that makes yeah sense. yeah that's what they and and that's how they actually are able to continue without uh crossing the picket line so in that regard we don't know but let's just say rider strike ends tonight and you were to get the phone call of the dream tv show that you'd love to be cast on what would it be? And just like that. I'm, <laughs> really? I'm living in Manhattan. One mm-hmm. of the biggest reasons is I was the biggest Sex and the City fan. Yeah. The biggest Sex and the City fan. So me, like every other jerk, was motivated by that to move up here. <laughs> yeah. So, and I told my manager, I told my manager, that is the goal. We will forego everything for that. To be on, so a real world on that, yeah. Oh it my really gosh, would. I don't care yeah. what it is, Mr. Hugh Jones. Who's, um, I have to say, your Instagram name is hilarious. It's Hugh York City, which is a very funny uh, Instagram handle. So people, you follow him. We're gonna have make sure his Instagram handle is in the podcast notes when you guys take a look. And so, Hugh, thanks for being here today. We appreciate it. Thanks for being on Motivational Mondays. Thank you so much. And remember, black progress is brown progress. I am reaping the benefits of the black progress. Please keep it going. And if I can help in any way, you can. You got me. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.
Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated.